the Women Changing the World podcast, a podcast on a mission to bring you some of the most amazing women I know who are doing incredible things to generally make the world a better place. From corporate sustainability to straight up magic and everything in between, you'll meet the real life humans who are birthing the new. I'm your host, Liz Best, and I'm here to amplify the stories and voices of women who are changing the world. another new episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. Today, I am so excited to sit down with Michelle Ariano Martin. She is the founder of Travara, which is a purpose-driven travel brand for today's modern, socially conscious global citizen. We talked about everything from her journey and how she came to be the founder and CEO of Travara to very practical, sustainable travel tips and why you should say no so that you can say yes. Welcome to another new episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. I'm so excited today to be sitting down with my friend and former colleague, Michelle Ariano Martin, who is the founder of Travara. Michelle, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Liz. I'm so happy to be here. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited to have you here again. Um, Before we jump in, I know we have so much to talk about, but would you mind briefly introducing yourself to our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, I'm the founder of Travara, which is a sustainable travel media platform. Um, And I would probably caveat that by saying that is my current job title, among other things. I wear many hats, which we will get into, but I am also a filmmaker, uh, an entrepreneur, a communications consultant, um, writer, a wife, and a mother. So all, all kinds of things on my plate right now. Ah, I love it. Well, we are here for women who wear many hats on the podcast. And I know that you're someone who I've like long admired all the different like cool projects you often are working on. So we'll definitely get into all of that. Um, before we do, uh, I love to ask the biggest question first uh, on this podcast, which mm-hmm. is the what would you change about the world question? Because this is the Women Changing the World podcast. Um, I always like to know if you could change one thing only about the world, what's the one thing that you would pick? That's not a big question at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, gosh, there's so many things that need to change. It's a tough one. But I think if I had to pick one thing, I would say that I would increase global consciousness so that everyone realizes and respects that we're all connected and every action we take has a consequence on someone else around the world. Um, And I think that can be applied to many different areas and issues that we're currently seeing in the world. Mm, Yes, I love that. Well, and I also love, I can see how clearly that also connects to the work that you're doing now through Travara. Um, I feel like the, the consciousness piece and appreciating 
other people around the globe and our impacts on others, like to me, feels so tied to travel. Um, so maybe before we get into anything else, um, I would love to hear, please tell us all about Trevar. I know this is your baby and you've been working on it for a while. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's my favorite thing to talk about. Um, so like I mentioned, Travara is a digital media platform dedicated to conscious, sustainable travel. Uh, the word Travara itself is actually a blend of two words of travel and vara. Uh, I really wanted to create something that had meaning and intention behind it. And vara is the Sanskrit word for the best of something. So Travara represents a blend of travel and Vara, so the best of travel. And I really wanted to establish it to be a go-to source for all things sustainable travel. Um, I had been doing a lot of freelance writing, freelance travel writing um, over the last 12 years of my life. And probably, you know, up until about five years ago, no major media outlets really wanted to pick up very many sustainable travel stories. It was always kind of just like, a, well, we don't really cover that. Or, well, that doesn't really fit. And it just got really frustrating as time went on because I saw the importance of it increasing with time, just the way, you know, things were evolving. And so I really just wanted to create a space where that information could be there. Uh, you know, if you would Google sustainable travel, you'd get 10 articles that would be listicles or tips on how to travel sustainably or like six things you need to do or what sustainable travel is. But there wasn't really one catch all for like, okay, where are all the sustainable hotels? Where are all the sustainable tour operators? And, you know, a lot of people would just have to spend a lot of time doing all that research and legwork on their own if they even cared. And that's not mm -hmm. even thinking about the people who didn't really think about it or have an awareness or of what it was, you know? Um, so for me, you know, I took my experience as a journalist and really just wanted to kind of channel that into a platform and start small and see where it could go. I really just wanted to be able to demystify what sustainable travel is and remove those barriers and obstacles that people might have, you know, whether it's spending the hours doing the research or, you know, changing people's opinions about what they thought it might be. You know, I think when you say sustainable travel, a lot of people get that deer in the headlights look because they don't know what it means and that's okay. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's very debatable depending who you're talking to, but I think in general, you know, people can't do it if they don't know what it is. And really, I just wanted to make it as easy as possible for people to make responsible choices. And, you know, ultimately your travel choices and purchases have the ability to make or break a community. So if you have the information in front of you, it should kind of be a no brainer. Um, to make the right choice. Ah, uh, yes. Well, I love that. And I love that you're applying your journalist brain <laughs> to, to this topic. I feel like, yeah, the struggle is so real. Um, if you don't have hours and hours to pour into researching something and you want to make the right choices when you travel. Um, I'm curious for people who are listening who are wondering what the definition of sustainable travel or what the Travara definition of sustainable travel is. Can you tell us a little bit more about like what you would consider sustainable travel to be? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's a really good question because um, a lot of people don't know. Right. And I feel like in my world, half the people are experts in sustainable travel and the other half have no clue what it is. So there's definitely a disparity when it comes to understanding what it is and how to do it. 
if you look at the UN Environment Program and the UN World Tourism Organization, they define it really broadly as tourism that takes full account of its current and future economic, social, and environmental impacts, addressing the needs of visitors, the industry, the environment, and host communities. So total word soup, right? Like a lot of people that just went over everybody's head. Um, and there's so many different labels and buzzwords, ecotourism, sustainable travel, responsible travel, regenerative travel, but ultimately they have the same through line. So if I was going to put it really simply, sustainable travel has three main pillars that you need to consider. There's footprint, culture, and community. So when you travel, are you taking your environmental footprint into consideration? Are your travels destroying or preserving and conserving nature? Are you visiting other cultures responsibly and respectfully? Are your tourism dollars being invested into the communities that you're visiting? Are you supporting locally owned businesses, local artisans, and tour guides? So if you really just want to drill it down into three simple, simple concepts, if you can just remember footprint, culture, and community, even if you're like trying to focus on one of those, you know, you're, you're doing your part to try to make the responsible choices when you travel. Yes, I love that's so I love how simple that is and it's so memorable and it's so inclusive of the different aspects that I think about when I think about sustainability especially as it relates to travel. So thank you for distilling that. That does feel like so much easier to wrap your arms around than the full official UNEP definition. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about anything in development, you know, you think about poverty or, you know, like climate issues, you know, everything is really intimidating and overwhelming and it's a lot, right? And we take sustainability. So if you are able to just kind of drill it down and make it really easy for people to understand and even just give people an opportunity to pick one or two things to focus on, it's a lot more attainable and you can, and really, you can really start to see your impact if you know how to break it down. Mm-hmm. Totally. Well, I would love, one of my favorite things to do on the podcast is to hear about people's journeys and how they came to be where they are today. I think like, you know, people have such interesting stories of what brought them up until up to this point where we find you. Um, so would really love to hear to the extent that you're willing to indulge us the full, the full story. How did you come to be here? How did you come to um, decide to found Travara and do the work that you're currently doing? Wow. How much time do we have? (laughs) (laughs) We honestly have, again, I really, I think that it's important to like give these stories space. So no pressure, but again, like go back as far as you want to go. Like we are here for it. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm kidding, but not really, but I am. (laughs) Um, You know, my path has always been very nonlinear, non-traditional, and I've always kind of felt like I'm all over the place and I've been doing a little bit of this and a little bit of that. But it always felt like the right thing was happening to me at the right time. I was exactly where I needed to be. Um, And I guess a little background on just kind of who I am in my childhood might help give that some color. Um, I was born in Mexico, in Durango, Mexico, and I was raised in L.A. And I would go to Mexico every summer to visit my family. So I guess I've always been a traveler. Um, even though I didn't consider that traveling at the time, it was just going to visit my grandma and my cousins. (laughs) Um, so, you know, I was exposed to different cultures from a young age and, you know, really saw a lot of poverty, but for me, it was normalized. It was just, that's what it was when you would, you know, go down there. That was just what Durango looked like. Um, and I didn't really think about it too much. And then as a child growing up in LA, I guess I was always very entrepreneurial. 
Um, started working probably when I was around nine. I definitely have my old flyers that I made for my gardening businesses. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. My summer camps in my backyard for neighborhood kids. I had newspaper routes, which I was very proud of. And I'm probably dating myself now, but, um, you know, I always liked to work and I always liked to do different things. Um, I always say I'm going to save all those old flyers and stick them in my book when I'm a, a, a very successful uh, millionaire or something and just show how hard I started working at a young age. Oh, I love um, it. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, as a, when I was a teenager, as soon as I could, I got a work permit and started working in restaurants. And I think I was just always really influenced by my father's hard work ethic. He always had a million jobs and work was always fun for me. I liked the responsibility and the empowerment that came from earning my own money. Um, and you know, when I was 17, I moved out and went to college. I went to UC Santa Barbara and put myself through college, which, you know, for me was always, we didn't really have the money to go to college. And I knew if I wanted to go, I had to figure it out on my own. So it was never a question of would I go? It was just, how was I going to go? You know? So I, I worked hard. I, you know, got some scholarships and I was always just really driven. And if there was something I wanted to do, I just kind of went for it, whether it was realistic or not. Um, I remember my freshman year of college, I really, I I think like in high school, I really liked ice hockey at the time. And I thought it'd be so cool to do PR for the Kings. And one day I just cold emailed them and said, I wanted to work for them. And I ended up landing my first internship doing PR for them my first summer after college. So, you know, I think that was kind of one of the first times where I just realized, like, if you want something, just ask for it, you know, just try it. Like, what's the worst that could happen? They could say no, right? Mm -hmm. So I just kind of spent college working um, restaurant jobs, having internships. And then I ended up studying abroad my junior year. And I went to Spain, which was really kind of a game changer for me in a lot of different ways. Um, it gave me more of a global perspective and enabled me to travel independently a lot more. And, you know, backpacking is something that I'm so glad I did, you know, at the time, like probably wouldn't want to do it now at this point in my life, but it's (laughs) such a, 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 a rite of passage, you know, and just really, you learn a lot about yourself. And I ended up, um, doing a volunteer program that year that I was in Spain, I studied in Spain. And at the end of the year, in the summer, I did this volunteer program in Poland. Um, I'd always kind of been interested in doing some volunteer work, but, you know, I had never done anything abroad or anything like that. And I signed up for this program where the children living in a particular region, I think it was Silesia in Poland, uh, there was so much environmental pollution that uh, like 80% of the kids and people had cancer or some form of you know chronic illness due to the environmental pollution. And so these kids would go up into the mountains to do a summer camp um, and just kind of breathe that clean, fresh air and just you know have their treatments up there and just really kind of get the experience of being a kid and going to summer camp. And I just really wanted to do something and I'd never been to Poland. So I was like, this sounds pretty cool. I'll go and do it. And it ended up really being one of my formative experiences because I just, I literally just kind of hitched a ride in the mountains of Poland and showed up at this summer camp and worked alongside volunteers from all around the world and worked with these beautiful children who didn't speak any English and I didn't speak any Polish. 
and we spent the summer together hiking and picking blueberries and doing scavenger hunts and it was just such an awesome experience for me to just you know be around people from different cultures and and see how even though obviously you know I wasn't a healthcare worker or medical professional doing anything for their health but just being with them you know made me feel like I had the potential to do something to help improve somebody's life whether it was just making them happier, making them forget about, you know, their issues for a little while and having fun. So I really kind of came back from that experience wanting to do more, wanting to do more international work, wanting to do more, whether it was volunteer work or development work, I didn't know, but it definitely opened my eyes to a lot of um, opportunities. And I I even thought maybe I want to join the Peace Corps. I didn't know, you know, um, but I came back to Santa Barbara and ended up minoring in global studies with an emphasis on women, culture, and development. And, and really, you know, it was such um, a wonderful program. And I wish I would have started studying that content earlier because I probably would have ended up majoring in that and um, doing even more. But through that experience, I realized, you know, Peace Corps might not be the answer for me. It was a little too political. Um, and, you know, there were just certain things that weren't the best fit for me. So after I finished college, I went and well, I worked to save the money. But then one of my best friends and I went backpacking through Southeast Asia for several months. And, you know, for me, that was like a second college education, you know, just mm-hmm. having the opportunity to travel and really be exposed to even more communities of all socioeconomic levels. Um, it just gave me such a greater global education. So that was um, really an impactful experience for me um, as well. So I think all of those experiences together really kind of combined to just give me that foundation of global perspective and experience um, in different levels of socioeconomic communities and just seeing what's really out there. You know, I grew up in you know, a beach community in Los Angeles. So it's not like I was seeing that kind of poverty every day, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, after doing that trip that I was, we were traveling for months. And then of course, as it always does, the money ran out. <laughs> so <laughs> I came home to grow up and get a, a real job. Um, and a friend from college set me up with an interview at her advertising agency in LA. And well, it was really fun. It was really kind of an extension of college, to be honest. Oh, <laughs> uh, just it was all recent college grads, and you know the work was really interesting. I was representing two major car companies. We were doing photo shoots and the marketing for them, and it was really interesting. And I learned a lot, but I really just kind of felt a disconnect after you know all those travels that I had had. It just kind of felt a little bit hollow for me, and then. Um, it was 9-11 and that really kind of changed everything for me because while I was working there, um, you know, representing the car companies, it, um, I remember really specifically that morning, um, I didn't go to work like many people obviously, but, you know, I remember there were, um, some news reports of, you know, one of the structures that had fallen down had, um, fallen over a car and like the car frame was still intact. And I just remember colleagues 
like the first thing they thought was like, oh, was it one of our two brands? Like, was it one of our cars? Like, can mm-hmm. we talk? Like, and it was just so gross to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really was like, I can't do this. Like, this is not an industry for me. Like, there's not a lot of, you know, meaning for me in it. And it just, it wasn't for me. You know, it's it's great for a lot of people, but it wasn't for me. So I quit. And I'll never forget because I was, um, I think, 23, 22 or 23. I think it was 22 when I quit. And I just was really confident. And I went in and announced. I said, I'm going to, I'm quitting and I'm going to start a nonprofit. And I'm going to like... <laughs> a positive difference in the world and everybody just looked at me like I was nuts they're like okay like good luck with that (laughs) and I was just like okay like this isn't for me I'm gonna change and I'm gonna do something else I'm gonna take what I learned from that and I'm just gonna go and apply that to something that makes me feel good um so you know fast forward a few months I really kept thinking about my experience in Poland and how it impacted me and really you know I really, I kept talking about it to friends of mine and, you know, everybody's like, yeah, that sounds awesome, but I can't just like go and volunteer somewhere for a few weeks. Like that costs thousands of dollars, which it did, you know, like that's why a lot mm-hmm. of people went to Peace Corps because it was free, but these other organizations, you know, you would pay money to go and volunteer. And, you know, there was a lot of controversy around them too. You know, you had to really do your due diligence to make sure you were finding an organization that was legit and it wasn't you know, it wasn't like orphanage tourism or things like that, you know, where it's like volunteers coming in, painting the same wall over and over and doing things like that. You know, you needed to really do the work to find the experiences that were authentic and actually doing something positive. Um, And so I decided to create a nonprofit that would raise money to provide scholarships for other young adults to go and travel abroad and have these volunteer experiences. And, you know, I was just out of college. I didn't know how to run a nonprofit. I thought I could just wing it and figure it out. And it's good. And, you know, why not? I have good intentions, right? That's like half the battle. And I started, I, I went back to working in restaurants. I was waitressing to, you know, support myself while I was doing this and had some really great parties and fundraisers and raised some money. And, you know, after about a year, I realized it was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be and an opportunity came up where I was asked to um, join Fox was launching a brand new action sports television network and I had some friends who were um, all working there and and launching it and I was asked to come on board and do the marketing to help launch it and I remember telling them but I just started this nonprofit it's gonna be amazing (laughs) and they were just like yeah yeah you can do that too that's cool (laughs) (laughs) and I was hesitant at first because I wanted to focus on the nonprofit um, I needed the stability of a paycheck though with benefits. And I thought, you know what? I could learn some new skills. I could make some great contacts and it could help me grow Karuna. At the same time, it was called Karuna International. And again, Karuna is a Sanskrit word. I have a thing for Sanskrit words apparently, but Karuna means compassion. So it was international compassion is what the nonprofit was. Um, so anyways, I took the job at Fuel and did the marketing and launched the network and I was there for a few years and it was one of the best experiences I've ever had. I made lifelong friends, um, but there was still something missing for me. So after a few years, I quit and I went to grad school to get a master's in nonprofit management so I could give Karuna a real shot. I felt like if I'm going to do this, I need to be all in. I need to do it full time and I need to know what I'm doing. I need to know what I'm talking about. Um So, you know, at that point I had just kind of been having parties and raising money for scholarships, but as I went through my, my master's program, it really, I really thought about it 
a lot more deeply and it evolved into a nonprofit that was dedicated to um, increasing global awareness, but also increasing global service learning among underserved youth. So the education component was really important to integrate, you know, rather than just giving out scholarships for people to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I had this incredible team that I worked with and we created a program called My First Passport where we taught low-income high school students a global education curriculum. And we gave them, after these eight weeks of the curriculum, um, we gave some of them scholarships to take them abroad for the first time to participate in a service learning project. And then they would come back to their communities and share the experience um, empowered, knowing that although they may have always been told they're underserved, but they're low-income, they came back and they were like, oh, no, 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 we've seen how other people live we see like how other people live in poverty and we are fine and we're going to help them we're going to make a difference we're going to do something so it was really kind of a blend of like education and empowerment and travel so it was you know a really wonderful opportunity to give these young high school kids that opportunity that you know I wish I could have had or you know I think every single high school student could benefit from, you know, any, any, anybody can benefit from it, you know, but to be able to have an experience like that at that age, when you're trying to decide what your place in the world is and what you can do and what your potential is, I think is so priceless because I am still in touch with some of those students now and I get random emails or like Mm. little messages just telling me how that experience changed their life and they went on to do these amazing wonderful things because they had the opportunity to see they had potential and you know they felt that empowerment just from being given the chance you know so that was a really really special time for me and really um beautiful work that we were doing but after several years of programming and trips abroad recession hit as soon as of course like as soon as I graduated and got my master's and things were taking off the recession hit and it was Mm. really really difficult to sustain the organization financially and I quickly learned that I do not like fundraising I do not like asking people for money and it was (laughs) really hard for me um and so you know it was just we had to kind of pause I said I was taking a pause and we would see how it would go get through the recession and you know I really um thought that at some point I would bring it back, maybe a different iteration of it, or, you know, we would, we would evolve the organization further. But, you know, at that point, I just kind of took a break and focused on starting a family. Um, and that kind of took up a bit of my focus for a couple years. And, you know, what came next, it, I keep saying this, but I mean, everything just really kind of happened when it was meant to happen, I think for me, because every opportunity or every challenge has always kind of led to something new. Mm-hmm. So at that time, um, when I was starting my family, I started working for a PR agency. And again, you know, I, I always had this like constant push and pull between like money and like paying the bills versus, you know, passion projects. And I just, I always had to do both at the same time because that's just how it was, you know? Mm-hmm. And I started working in PR And that was a big turning point for me too, because I had PR experience, but this was, I mean, this was a small scrappy agency and we had a heavy workload and I learned a lot and I started um, freelance writing when I was there because, you know, doing PR, you make relationships with all the journalists and editors 
And one of the editors that I had been pitching a client to, I think I had just gone on a trip to, I think I went to Bosnia and Herzegovina and Montenegro and just randomly, he was like, Hey, do you want to write a story about it? I was like, yeah, that'd be awesome. And I don't know why I had never really thought about it before. I mean, I'd always like thought it'd be cool to write, but you know, the opportunity just never really presented itself. And then I started writing and the more I was doing PR, the more I really got an understanding of how it all worked, um, you know, from both sides, from the writing side and from the pitching side. So it was really good. And I'm just, you know, collecting all these different skills as I go along. And that one article led to another article, which led to another magazine, which led to another publication, to another newspaper. And then, um, you know, I ended up starting to write for national publications like Vogue and Newsweek and and Forbes. And so, you know, that kind of took on a life of its own. And that was always kind of a side thing for me, but I really enjoyed it. And I enjoyed the platform that it gave me, you know, and that's really when I started thinking like, gosh, you know, like if only these outlets would let me write about things that were more important than just like, you know, which spas give the best treatments and things (laughs) like that. Um, So that's, kind of how I got into writing and then um I was at this point where I was just kind of feeling like you know I I had had two kids and I wanted to really get back into something um a little bit more substantial where I was you know either gonna try to do uh run the nonprofit again or I was gonna try to take a full-time job somewhere else doing something that had more meaning to me and this job opening came up for Qualcomm, a tech company in San Diego. And I had no idea what Qualcomm did. I knew (laughs) they were a big company in San Diego. Their name was on the football stadium. I knew they had to do something with tech, but I didn't really know what they did. And the job description sounded incredible. They had this global social responsibility program where they were taking um, mobile into underserved communities around the world and using it to transform lives. And the job description was for somebody to do the PR and marketing for that program. So to me, it was like a perfect blend of, you know, my communication skill set and then my passion for global development and travel and all these things wrapped into one. And that's, you know, obviously where you and I met and, you know, we did a lot of work together there, which was really such a fun time too. Oh, so um, much fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, it was one of those things where I remember interviewing. <laughs> I remember, I think I counted it up. I think I ended up having like 17 interviews, which was absurd. And <laughs> I remember thinking, I am so perfect for this job. Like, why don't they just hire me and give me the job? And then I remember like, it was just such a ri- I had been feeling already like my experience is so random. Like who's going to need somebody who has PR experience, but then also global development experience. Like I just felt like I had two different worlds, you know? And I think that was the very first time where I, I was able to recognize that I have a really unique skill set to offer and that's an advantage for me, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, And that's when I really kind of started to embrace that notion of like, it's okay to have all these different jobs because now all of a sudden it all makes sense. Um, So that was an amazing time. You know, I led the global communications and marketing and, I got to do some of the coolest things I've ever done that I would never have had the opportunity to do, you know, traveling around the world, meeting people in rural communities where, you know, I could see firsthand how this tech was transforming their lives. And, you know, whether it was mobile ultrasounds in the Atlas mountains of Morocco or fishing in Senegal or Colombia, or, you know, going to schools where they were using tablets or, you know, um, 
laptops for digital learning in rural Myanmar. I mean, these are like, like, who does these things? You know what I mean? Like it was just the coolest job, the coolest opportunity. And I was able to become the storyteller for those programs and to share those stories through film and digital content and media. And, you know, ended up, I had this idea right when I started working there to do a documentary. Like to me, it was a no brainer. It's like, why haven't we done a documentary? Like this would be amazing. Like let's do it. And for years I kept trying to get it approved. And then I finally got it approved and spent a year traveling around. We went to India and Colombia in the Philippines and filmed this documentary and then premiered it at the United Nations Foundation. And it was just such a wonderful experience. And, um, you know, it, uh, it really kind of gave me that additional skill set, you know, filmmaking. And then I kind of fell in love with that. And that's kind of taken me, you know, through to the next chapter. So, I mean, I could talk forever. We're, we're pretty close to where I am in my life now. But <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of like the roundabout way of how I got to where I am with the writing and the communications and the filmmaking. So I'm going to stop there because that was a lot. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I love it. Well, thank you so much for indulging us. I feel like you've had such an interesting journey to get to where you are now. And I also just so love how there were even glimmers in your like childhood jobs of things that you're doing now, right? When you talk about like gardening outside or like your newspaper route or running summer camps in your backyard. It's like they seem like disparate things and I can see how like all of them relate to what you're doing today in such a cool way. Um, And I also love, I feel like, yeah, things can seem so random, I think, especially in like our 20s. Um, But then it like it all comes together. I think it, it can in some really cool ways where you're like, oh, all of those seemingly random things like make me like the dream candidate for this role or, and, or make you like the ideal person to found this company that you're working on, which is so cool. I feel like something I know that you have some wisdom to offer, uh, like a topic that I know you have some wisdom to offer about. Um, and I feel like even just in sharing, like, recessions and like other twists and turns like things are wild it's a wild time right now I feel like it's been a wild time for the last few years um what would you say to people who are like maybe in the process of trying to leverage a pivot or a challenge that's out of their control like what have you learned in going through some of the ups and downs on your journey yeah, it's, it's a great question. And I've certainly had my fair share, <laughs> um, like many, of course. Um, I would say, so, you know, in a nutshell, I think um, my experience with my nonprofit, with Karuna, you know, that was going well. And then we had the recession, right? So then I had to pivot there. When I was working at Qualcomm, I thought things were going really well. We launched the film and then I got laid off. You know, I thought I was going to spend the next year of my life promoting the film and, you know, doing all these film festivals, but then they eliminated my position. So that wasn't an option anymore. And then with Trevara, you know, I built it, I launched it. We were having steady growth. We were you know, shockingly named by Fast Company as one of their world-changing ideas. And right when we were set to take off, COVID shut the world down, which nobody could have imagined happening, right? And it's like, you're going to have, there's no doubt that there are going to be, you know, unexpected challenges that come 
um, with whatever you're doing, you know? And so I just really had to learn how to reframe how to look at a lot of these situations, you know, between a recession, a layoff and a global pandemic. I've just learned the importance of leveraging a pivot for the potential that it holds, you know, when unexpected challenges force you to pivot, it's really critical to just reframe it and ask yourself, what other opportunities are you able to embrace now that that is not an option for you, you know? And then it's also, I think, really important to celebrate and have gratitude for the accomplishments you were able to achieve before you were being forced to pivot. You know, for Karuna, I always kind of felt a little bit like a failure, like I couldn't sustain it, but I had to reframe it and just look at how many young people we did actually impact in the time that we had, you know, and focus on the positive impact I did have, you know, and with Qualcomm, I, I was really blindsided by that one, but then it gave me that time and space to dive creatively into building Travara, which ultimately is my dream company, you know? Mm-hmm. So there, it sounds really cheesy and cliche, but there is a silver line and you just have to reframe the way you look at it and try to ask yourself, you know, what is this opening me up for? Like something else is meant to happen now. What is it? And then embrace it. Absolutely. I feel like it's like so hard. It can be so hard in the moment, right? When you are feeling surprised or blindsided, but this question of like, how is this happening for me instead of to me? I think like there's just so much wisdom (laughs) in asking that question because inevitably like as things fall away, it's creating space for whatever comes next. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I feel like one thing that I I think is so cool, like I'm a, a multi-passionate person and I feel like it's been so cool over the time that I've known you and, and now it's like hearing that it goes way, way back um, to see the ways that you like wear many hats and like hold a multi-hyphenate title and do a bunch of things that you love. Um, how have you come to a place where you get to say yes to so many of the things that you love? And then like, how do you choose what's a yes, what's a no, what's like maybe needs to go on the back burner when you have so many different things happening? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great question because it's taken me a while to be able to articulate who I am professionally and kind of feel that pride in it. Because I think for a long time, you know, I just felt like I, I did so many things. And traditionally, it's like when people ask you, what do you do? Like, there's a pretty straightforward answer, you know? And I often, you know, have that moment where I pause and I'm like, how do I answer this? You know, and, and sometimes it'll be depending on who I'm talking to, right? Like in the right context, this is what I do. This is who I am. Um, and it wasn't really until recently that I've been able to kind of embrace that multi-hyphenate, you know, persona and, and see it as a good thing. I remember I was not that long ago, I was at a dinner party and somebody came up to me and they're like, oh, I heard you're the writer. And it was so funny because yes, I write, but then it was the first time somebody had called me a writer. Like that was the only thing I did. And it was weird to me because I'm like, yeah, I write, but then I also do X, Y, and Z too. So it really kind of made me pause and think like, who am I? Like, what am I doing? (laughs) You know, I'm doing all these other things and I'm not doing any of them hundred percent. So then you kind of get like a little bit of imposter syndrome where it's like, well, am I a writer? Like I, I write sometimes, you know, and it's been a really weird um, path to navigate, but, you know, I have to say that I finally feel like, nope, this is who I am. This is where I'm supposed to be. And I'm badass. Like, it's okay. I can do all these things and, you know, I can do them well too. I was, um, 
at this conference a few months ago in LA and I met all these young 20 something climate and sustainability activists and every single one that I met introduced themselves with a list of all the things they do ah. and it was totally <laughs> normal and they owned it and they claimed it and they were confident and it was awesome and I'm like yes this is how it should be like it's okay to be more than one thing you know what I mean and you can claim it it's okay you know and it's just so funny how different it is now because you know I just always felt like well if I would have stayed on the path that I was on when I worked in television I'd be like all my friends that are now SVPs or CEOs but I'm not because I did this I'm the CEO of my company but not you know that traditional path where I was um so I think long answer to your question is how do you say yes I think you know, somebody gave me this really good advice once and it was, you have to say no in order to say yes, mm. because I constantly say yes to everything. You know, I, <laughs> so I constantly, constantly say yes to new clients, even though I might not have the bandwidth or the time, but I want to help everybody. I, when I was writing a lot freelance, I was constantly saying yes. So at one point I had a full-time job. I was writing 10 articles a month for a magazine. Like it was just too much, you know? And I was so stressed out. And I remember my girlfriend was like, why do you keep saying yes? <laughs> like, <laughs> you really don't have enough time, but it's like, I, you know, I think it's just kind of that like scrappy side of me. It's like, well, if somebody's, you know, gonna ask me to do the work, like I should do it. If I have work, I should do it. I can't turn it down. But, you know, once she told me that I started doing it and it was like, I was doing, I was writing a lot of articles every month for this one magazine that, um, you know, I don't think they paid me very much and it was just too much on my plate. And I said, no, I couldn't do any more. And then all of a sudden I got an article in Vogue and it was like, you know, it's going to be like you change, right? It's like, I could write 10 articles and like hustle for barely any money or anything that's going to take me to that next level. Or it opened up to a bigger opportunity, right? Which then led to something else bigger, which led to something else. So you have to like, it sounds counterintuitive but you have to say no to say yes you have to pick and choose otherwise you can't do everything and I can tell you that because I've tried <laughs> but I think that's the short answer you have to say no so you can say yes mm, so wise and I also think like I was just having a conversation earlier this week with someone about like this idea of like how you can build a really interesting career by I think so often we're taught that like you have to go really deep on the one thing and like climb this imaginary ladder that doesn't necessarily exist in real life. And some of the most interesting people I know who are doing some of the coolest things are the people who've like just followed their curiosity and tried all the things that they were interested in. And then in hindsight, it all makes sense. Like in hindsight, you connect the dots. Um, but I feel like I don't know about you, but at least for me when I was younger, like no one really like told me that like, oh, you like, you could try a bunch of different things. You should like try different avenues and see what resonates with you most and see what you're most interested in. You'll bring it all together later. Like no one was giving me that career advice. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. That's, you know, if I could give my younger self any advice, that would be it. Don't feel like you need to have it all figured out right away know that it's okay to explore all of your interests and pursue any and all of them. It's okay. Like you don't have to be pigeonholed into this one thing. Uh, absolutely. 
Um, well, I want to ask a couple more sustainable travel questions, then I'm going to ask you a few quick hit questions before awesome. we go. But what do you see? I mean, we're at, I feel like somehow we're still in the pandemic. Um, it's an interesting moment for travel. Like, what do you think the future of travel is likely to hold? Great question. Um, ironically, thanks to the confluence of COVID and the climate crisis, I think the future of travel looks promising as perspectives are starting to shift. You know, there's a greater awareness now of what's at stake if we don't change travel for the better. Um, you know, travel travel has always been a massive industry. And I think this summer was really telling. It was a bit of a cluster because everyone was so desperate to travel mm-hmm. for the first time, right? I think at one point I had five different friends in Italy at the same time this summer. Um, and I think you know, while it kind of exploded this summer, I think it is going to start to normalize and calm down. I think crowds and prices will stabilize in the fall. And I think while people will continue traveling, there will be a greater focus on more authentic and thoughtful travel. So smaller groups, more nature-centric experiences, slower, more immersive travel. You know, the climate crisis is undeniably getting worse. So Mm -hmm. sustainable travel is table stakes at this point. So I think, you know, for people who like traveling, um, you know, if you want to keep traveling, it has to be done better. And there are a lot of organizations out there working to try to help, you know, uh, work on policy and get things changed from a, a higher level. But I think just for people thinking about traveling, you know, it's really just important to recognize that travel can harm the environment in multiple ways. Like that's, there's no question there, but that's why it's critical that it has to be done better to justify traveling during a climate crisis. You know, we can, travel can do more good than harm if we do it right. So, you know, if you're wondering how to travel more sustainably, it all starts on day one of your travel planning, right? You have to watch out for greenwashing. Um, you know, I think historically people or hotels or anything that say they recycle or they have carbon offsets or they use reusable straws or don't wash the towels, like that doesn't cut it anymore. You know, those are the <laughs> things you can just like look at those and keep going, right? Like if they're not doing more, then forget it. Um, I think, you know, just some advice for people for things to think about, you know, think about when are you going? Are you going during peak season? Or are you going off peak or shoulder season? Because that's when it's going to be less expensive, more enjoyable, and you can help spread the economic impact throughout the year. Because a lot of travel destinations, you know, people get really hit really hard during peak season, and then there's no work for the rest of the year, you know, so mm-hmm. it's really important to be able to spread that economic benefit throughout the year. Uh, if you think about where you're going, you know, Yes, everybody loves Paris and Rome and London, and those are great, but, you know, it's important to really consider, like, second cities, you know, or rural areas, or, you know, the under the radar, off the beaten path places, Um, and, you know, you'll, honestly, you will have a lovely experience, because you're going to get more of that authentic culture, right, because a lot of the most famous or busiest cities suffer from overcrowding or over tourism and they cater to tourists. So you lose a lot of that authenticity that you're going there to look for. Um, Thinking about how you're going to get somewhere. Are you going to fly with several stops just to save some money? Or are you looking at nonstop flights whenever you can? Are you looking at airlines that use biofuels? If you, if you can find some fantastic, Um, you know, and, it's, there's no doubt that flying is the biggest um, emitter of carbon emissions for travel. So, I mean, there are just some places you have to try 
or you have to fly to get to. So if you have to fly, just try to do it in a way um, that has the least impact. You know, one of the things that I learned is that your footprint from flying in business class versus economy is like, there's a nine time difference. So like, oh my gosh, it's nine X. I knew it was at least two X. Yeah, it's gross. It's really bad. So, I mean, business class is nice, but (laughs) is it worth it? You know, something to think about. Um, you know, and obviously any kind of ground transportation is always better. Cars, trains, buses. Um, it really just depends on where you're going and what you're doing. Something that's gotten really big over the last few years is just kind of like drive-by tourism. People going places just to get the Instagram shot. You know, you see it on Instagram, you want to go there, you get the shot, you're in and out and you leave. And it's, it's so detrimental to the community that you're visiting and it's just like those places just get so overloaded and what are you getting out of it you're getting a cool picture Mm -hmm. you know like it's just it's something that just really needs to change and social media has has such great power to help or harm a destination so hopefully you know people are mindful of that and cognizant when they're choosing where to go or you know how they're traveling you know Totally. Yeah. I feel like the Instagramification of travel and of like many destinations is such a real thing. So thinking about how you can be thoughtful and support like local entrepreneurs and local tour operators and like people doing meaningful things, um, ideally beyond just taking pictures for Instagram. (laughs) Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head too. It's always supporting the local businesses, local hotel owners, local uh, tour guides, entrepreneurs, you know, it's really important to, to, if you're going to book a hotel somewhere, if you can, you know, of course, try to book somewhere that's locally owned, you know, of course there are big chain hotels everywhere, but you know, a lot of times the money that you spend there doesn't go directly back into the community and the people that live there. So it's really hard, you know, it's a hard balance because people want to find good deals when they travel too. And that's, one of the things that I wanted to do at Travara is like make it really easy to find those good hotels to support because you could go on Expedia or booking.com or any of those, you know, some of them are getting better and they're, you know, adding sustainable search options, but it's really hard when people are looking for a good deal, right? Like it's like, well, this one's a hundred dollars cheaper, but that one's more sustainable. So totally, totally. Well, then it's also like, um, you know, we had a Didi Mohapatra on the podcast from Expedia group recently Mm -hmm. and, I know they're working on increasing visibility, but it's also it's like how do you make the information digestible for people and like also meaningful, um, right? Like how do you when you say one option is more sustainable than the other option, like what does that actually mean? Right, right. And then you know then we have the issue of greenwashing too. It's like are they sustainable because they recycle? Well, everybody should be recycling, right. <laughs> you know. So it's like it's tricky because nobody's really regulating that. So that's where it's on. The consumer to do the due diligence so it's it's a lot of work right but that's where I'm trying to help make it a little bit easier and hopefully you know I've seen a lot of progress in media and journalism too and people are more interested in covering topics now there's some great books out there my friend Holly Tuppen wrote this awesome book called sustainable travel and it's literally like the handbook on sustainable travel so if you haven't seen it or read it it's a great um, beautiful little coffee table book but she is a really thoughtful journalist who really breaks it down and gives a lot of suggestions on places to go to. Ah, that's so great. And I did, thank you for covering, because I did want to touch on like some like 
tips for people who are listening who are like, I want to make better choices. I feel like there was so much, um, there were so many good nuggets in there. All right. I have two more questions for you. The first one is, um, you may know this one's coming. I love asking people on the podcast if you could write an inspirational post-it for other women changing the world, like a note that you remind yourself of, or just a message that you found helpful in your journey, what like phrase or quote would you want to put on your post-it? Okay. So can I have two? Yeah, absolutely. No <laughs> limit, no rules. So I'm going to go back to what I said before, say no, so you can say yes. And just always remind yourself, you know, like it's okay to say no to something because something better might be out there waiting for you. And then another one, um, I interviewed this woman named Jessica Honiger once for Forbes, and she started this company called Noonday Collection. And I'm totally going to borrow this one from her, but I remember talking to her and she said a really important um, thing that she reminded herself and her team especially when working with women, because I think this happens a lot, is your, her, uh, wait, let me see before I get it wrong. Her sparkle does not diminish my shine. So if you think about it, like somebody else's success is not going to diminish yours. And I actually tell my kids this all the time because they're super competitive with each other. It's like, just because somebody else is doing well and succeeding, it doesn't take away from you. And I, I've worked in environments with a lot of women and I've seen it happen a lot of times where everybody's kind of out for themselves. And I mean, it happens with men and women too, don't get me wrong. But I think it's really important for everybody to, to just, you know, be aware that like just because somebody else is doing well, it doesn't mean it's going to take away from you. Like it's okay to support one another, you know, even like working in the travel industry. Like I try not to look at other businesses or platforms as competition. It's like, this is great. We're all doing awesome work. Let's support each other. You know, if they succeed, I succeed because that means that there's more interest in what we're doing. And it's important and it's needed. Uh, yes, I feel like that sounds like such a beautiful articulation of like of shine theory and this idea of like when like we, when you shine, I shine, like we can all shine. There's room for all of us. And it's such a guiding principle of this podcast and of the work that I do. So I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, for people who are listening who want to stay in touch with you or stay in the loop on the latest on Travara, um, what's the best place for people to follow along or learn more? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for asking. Definitely check out Travara. It's travara.com, T-R-A-V-A-R-A.com. Um, you can read some of the editorial content, sign up for our newsletter, follow us on social, please. And, you know, just stay tuned if you sign up for the newsletter. Uh, I think right around when this is airing, we're going to be launching our curated journeys, which I'm really excited about. They're small group, multi-day tours that focus on sustainability, culture, heritage, and gastronomy. And, you know, they kind of incorporate everything that I've talked about, spreading those economic benefits of tourism to lesser known areas, supporting small locally owned businesses, and really putting an emphasis on sustainable and regenerative practices that are working to mitigate the climate crisis. So we're looking to launch those in the Basque country of Spain this fall. Uh, yes. I mean, I will say from the brief travel experiences I've gotten to share with you and having gotten to know you for the past, gosh, a lot of years now, you know how to travel well. <laughs> so for anyone who's think looking for a trip or thinking about how to have a trip that's like both, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say like, a truly like luxurious like experience, but also like sustainable and thoughtful. 
um, you're the person who I would look to for that. So that is so cool to hear. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been so fun to talk to you about all of these things. Thank you so much, Liz, for giving me the time and space to share. And thank you to everybody who's listening for taking the time. And um, I'm excited to see everything else that keeps coming out of this podcast because you have been really great at bringing together some amazing women that I know are inspiring others. So thank you so much for putting all the time and effort into it. Oh my gosh. Thank you. It is truly, truly such a pleasure. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. Please rate and review the Women Changing the World podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe for future episodes. You can find me on Instagram. My handle is Liz.Best, that's L-I-S dot B-E-S-T, or you can find me on LinkedIn by searching my name, Liz Best. Join my mail list by visiting elizabethbest.com slash monthly meditation, and you'll receive all the latest updates on events, retreats, and opportunities to work with me plus a monthly love note from my heart to your inbox. I am so excited to keep in touch and I'll see you in the next episode.